I think that the thing to take away from this is make a decision and act. You could be wrong. Make the best decision you can, but don't mm-hmm. let your uncertainty stop you from acting because, again, action is the great clarifier, and all of your acts are not endpoints. They're drafts, mm-hmm. at least until the day you die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hello, and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Pat Cummings, as always, joined by my friend John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week, my friends. How are you, John? I'm great, Pat. Thanks. Uh, I'm happy to hear that. I'm excited to get into this chat with you. Every other week here on the show, we've got a longer discussion on how we can own our lives by becoming optimal agents. That's what we're doing this week. And then tune in every other week for a shorter episode where we answer one of your questions. This week, we'll be talking about something called the Cult of Done, which is a manifesto and a movement that popped up in 2009 for creatives and makers. We're going to look at the manifesto that sparked it and explore what we can learn in our pursuit of agency. And then we're going to wrap up the episode with a hot take on a recent article that I came across about the American dream and the struggles that some millennials are having in reaching it. Cult of Done. I thought I would start with just, like I said, this was a this is a manifesto that came out in 2009 there are, uh, it's basically a, a list of 13 things. Um, I'm going to read through all 13, then we're going to dive into just a couple of them four specifically that we want to pull out in this pursuit of agency. But here's, here's all of it. And if you uh, Google cult of done, you'll get all of these uh, in the first search result. Here are the 13. Number one, there are three states of being not knowing action and completion. Number two, accept that everything is a draft. It helps to get it done. Number three, there is no editing stage. Number four, pretending, you know, Pretending you know what you're doing is almost the same as knowing what you're doing, so just accept that you know what you're doing even if you don't and do it. Number five, banish procrastination. If you wait more than a week to get an idea done, abandon it. Number six, the point of being done is not to finish, but to get other things done. Number seven, once you're done, you can throw it away. Number eight, laugh at perfection. It's boring and keeps you from being done. Number nine, people without dirty hands are wrong. Doing something makes you right. Number 10, failure counts as done, so do mistakes. Number 11, destruction is a variant of done. Number 12, if you have an idea and publish it on the internet, that counts as a ghost of done. And number 13, done is the engine of more. So like I said, we're going to pull apart a couple of these, but I think first, John, maybe a little bit of context as to what this manifesto is, where it came from, a little bit of background. Yeah, I think it's really important to understand who wrote this and Mm -hmm. why they wrote it. Uh, So this was written by Bree Pettis and Keo Stark. Bree is essentially a maker, and Keo is an author. Uh, And so this was aimed at facilitating the act of creation uh, in that artistic sense, in facilitating making and facilitating writing. And so we're bastardizing this a little bit. You know, we're pulling it over into the world of agency. I just want to point out that we can only criticize its contents or utilize its contents in its original context. What is it for? And I think one of the things that we should understand as optimal agents in the world is creation is not consumption. And if you've been following along with the podcast, you've heard me, we've heard you rail over and over again that we want to limit our consumption because it contributes to our wealth, but we want to create because it adds to our happiness. And so we're going to take this one more meta level up and say, how can we use some of the cherry-picked principles from the cult of done to build the life 
that we want. And so of the 13 principles, and I find them fairly duplicative of each other, or frankly, they make the same point over and over, that we can pull four of them that are truly impactful on agency. But I'd also point out how meta this whole thing is. They wrote it in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was literally their their partners, their their romantic partners, life partners. They wrote it literally. I understand laying in bed in twenty minutes, and so very it very much the rules encapsulate the spirit uh, of what was done here. They got a draft in twenty minutes. It it was in no way edited. That's why there's thirteen mm-hmm. rules and they're duplicative of each other. And <laughs> yep. right, they published it to the internet. And their twelfth rule was if you publish things to the internet, they're done. So this was very tongue in cheek, but there's some power here. And so I want to pull that out for our listeners. Love that. Okay, cool. So as I said, I think there are a couple that we, again, we want to kind of take out of the context that it was written in and bring it to our conversation, this idea of being an uh, optimal agent. So again, just the four that I think we want to highlight. Number one, there are three states of being, not knowing, action, and completion. Number two, except that everything is a draft. It helps to get it done. Number six, the point of being done is not to finish, but to get other things done. And number 10, failure counts as done, so do mistakes. So let's start with the first one first. There are three states of being, not knowing, action, and completion. Yeah. Uh, Omitting that you have to accept the premise that there are only three states, uh, what this implies is that action is a great clarifier. When you act, you learn and you evolve, you get further on in the step. And so without action, there cannot be completion. And in the context of optimal agency, if you're pursuing wealth, you need to take that first action. It might be I'm going to automatically save 2% of my paycheck to a high-yield savings account, which implies that I have to open that savings account. And so your first step in quote-unquote done, open that savings account. Take the action. We are looking to avoid paralysis through analysis. Oh my God, I want to be rich. What are the 15 things I have to have in place? Well, you'll clarify what the next thing you need to have in place is after you get the first thing in place. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can look at that as wealth. We can look at that as health. Hey, the first thing you might need to do if you want to do build your muscle mass is buy a pair of dumbbells. Well, when they get to your home, you're then going to have to say, well, what do I do with these things? And so maybe step two is I'm going to watch five follow along dumbbell training videos on YouTube until I find Mm -hmm. an instructor whose style I vibe with. Right. The third step might be I'm going to buy from that person a program to use these dumbbells. And then you're going to find out maybe a week in that it's way too hard for you. And you started doing P90X when maybe you should have just been doing some low and slow bodybuilding style training to get accustomed. And so it's the idea of, hey, I don't know. Okay. You don't know. Act. Do something about Mm -hmm. it. And the next step will reveal itself to you. Now, I think it's worth also noting what completion means in this context, right? Buying the dumbbells is a completed act. Then Mm -hmm. watching the videos is a completed act. We're not talking about the long tail completion of I'm fit, buff, and strong. We're talking Mm -hmm. about completing that immediate thing. So it doesn't indicate finality. It indicates a next step in an evolution. So Right. If you're 
involved in optimal agency, if you're trying to be an agent, if you want to know something and you don't, in many cases, the first thing you can do is take the first knowable step towards that outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, I think two things that kind of pop out to me, one, just to, to, bring the context of the cult of men, uh, cult of done a little bit back into it, not knowing action and completion. It's kind of like, you know, writing a blog post say, right. Well, I don't know what to write about. Okay. Write something. Okay. It's done now. And then you get to go back to the beginning of that and saying, okay. And that's a cycle. It's not to your point. It's not a straight line, finish line done. It's you're at the finish line. Now that gets you back to the starting line again. And that's actually the game we're looking to play is starting line to finish line, starting line to finish line. So that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing is, I, you know, I think a lot of times it's happened to me before. I know it's happened to a lot of folks, which is being in the state of not knowing is the, the, the thing that's keeping us from the action. And I like what you said, which is like, it almost doesn't matter what the action is that gets you out of that state and into the act. Like, it doesn't really matter what you do next. It only matters that you do something. And I think so often we are like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the quote unquote right action is. And so I'm going to wait until I figure that out before I take an action when it's actually all, sometimes it really doesn't matter what the next thing is, as long as you're moving in that action. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm developing a ski wax company right now. Ski wax, beeswax, ski wax. That's right. Beeswax, ski wax. Uh, and this came about because there is no beeswax ski wax. And it turns out there's some good reasons for that because of the nature of beeswax. Uh, but I'm looking mm-hmm. to, of course, bend reality to my will. And so I went and did some research and said, well, is anyone selling this? The answer is no. Uh, I did some further research and saw that there was a company that does custom wax formulations. And so I contacted them and I said, will you make this for me? And they said, what's in it? I said, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's ski wax. Here's what ski wax does. Send me yep. a sample. Okay, so those are all just actions. Do I have a company yet? No. Mm-hmm. I haven't sold a thing. I don't have a website. I don't I don't even have a logo, right? Mm-hmm. I just have this sense that an eco-friendly ski wax that biodegrades rapidly in marine and terrestrial environments will be well received in the market. And so they sent me back an email the other day, said, how's testing going? Well, this with this wax, the first sample, they said, it sucks. It's terrible. Mm. It's terrible. Like its melting point is too <laughs> high. It's impossible to scrape off the bottom of my snowboards. It's actually decently quick because it's hard. Uh, the wax is hard. But uh, I sent them back an email and said, fix this, fix this. And they said, we'll send you another sample. And so... Think about all of those just simple, simple acts. All I did was call somebody, but it Mm -hmm. leads to a cascade of more. And we might find out at the end of this evolution that there is no beeswax, ski wax. In other words, this is a quixotic, Sisyphusian sort of thing to be doing. (laughs) Uh, But without that action, there cannot be the next step in that chain. I love that. I'll use, I've got a a similar example, which is that I decided about two or three months ago that I wanted to write a kid's book. And I was like, well, I don't know how to write a kid's book. So I, so mostly, I mean, I can write, but mostly I was like, well, I don't know how to illustrate a kid's book, but I wonder if I could use AI to illustrate a kid's book. And so I didn't know how to do that until I started figuring out how to do it. And it turns out, I think I can. And so now I'm in the process of figuring out, okay, well, what does that, what does that book look like? 
what is what is the process of writing it and illustrating it and then I'm going to be back at the beginning because I don't know how to publish a book mm-hmm. and so I'm going to be back at the the not knowing stage and I'm going to figure out what the right action is and it likely will be I'm going to spend two or three or four weeks learning on you know through YouTube and whatever else I can find online well how do you actually self publish a book because I have no idea but that is the that is the fun of it but if I had stopped and if you had stopped at well I don't know how to make ski wax out of beeswax or I don't know how to make a kids book that like, yeah, that's where most people stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have no idea. Instead of what is the first action that would lead me to greater knowledge and clarity? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Cool. Number two, accept that everything is a draft. It helps to get it done. So I think you only see what's missing after you enact a solution, a a preliminary Mm -hmm. draft solution. You know, you're only going to get to the life that you want to have if you make a series of decisions that get you on the board. If you make that first decision, should I try this job? Does it fit with my values? You make that second decision. Where should this job be? Where should I live? Third decision. Who should I live with? You know, I'm now at a point in my life where I am on my third serious romantic life partner. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and uh, I've learned from all of the preceding relationships several things. What do I want in a partner? But I've also learned what my own values are along the way. And I've also learned that matching values matters more than almost anything else because I've put other things at the top of that stack of priority. Right. And I've found that my happiness in a relationship has only come when I have gotten that stack rank right. Well, to get that stack rank right, what did I have to do first? I had to get it horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. had to see what the result was of getting it terribly wrong. And so not only is everything a draft that you have to do to find out more to get to that next step, uh, your whole life is a draft. Right? The job that you have today tells you what job you want. The partner you have today tells you what partner you might want in the future. And it might be the one you've got, right? The, the act of investing in certain things might tell you what your actual risk tolerance is for investment in the future. I used to think I was going to beat the stock market because mm-hmm. damn it, I'm smart. You know, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize, I didn't realize what the true environment <laughs> is, you know, that Renaissance technology and Jim Simons are out there with a hundred thousand PhDs crunching and actually beating the crap out of the market. Right. So I said, I'm going to buy individual companies. I can tell which companies are going to succeed and, and can't because I've had the, I've had the joy of running a $12 million company. So why wouldn't a $2 billion company just reveal <laughs> itself to me? Right. And so for, the majority of my investing career, I was buying individual stocks. I was buying what I knew because we were in e-commerce. I was buying Apple and, and Amazon and I was buying Shopify and, and so on and so forth. And I actually got pretty lucky. I did really well early on. In fact, if you looked at my results versus the NASDAQ over the first 10 or 15 years, I was beating it by about two to three times. So I was getting this really great compounding rate. And then... Uh, the pandemic hit, I said, this hasn't changed the fundamental thesis for anything. And actually all of my tech stocks skyrocket, right? Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic ends 
And all of a sudden, this tap of people being at home and only having tether through electronic devices ends and the valuations ascribed to tech companies at the same time that the pandemic's ending and the Fed is raising interest rates tremendously, those valuations drop like a stone, like a stone, you know, uh, same thing with bonds bond values dropped. And all of a sudden, I went from being a smart guy to a guy who was sitting on a paper loss at 30%. And I said, holy cow, like the market hasn't fallen this this much, just, just my holdings. And so I started to realize that I might be able to beat the market for a little while. But if I want to compound truly over time, I'd rather compound at 6% constantly for 30 years then 30% for three years, and then 2% thereafter. And so I ended up saying, I'm going to make the switch from individual equities to ETFs and mutual funds. But I wouldn't have known if I had never tried, right? And so I think that the thing to take away from this is make a decision and act. You could be wrong. Make the best decision you can, but don't mm -hmm. let your uncertainty stop you from acting because, again, action is the great clarifier, and all of your acts are not endpoints. They're drafts, mm -hmm. at least until the day you die. <laughs> mm -hmm. There will be a final draft. <laughs> uh, this one, except that everything is a draft, feeds nicely into the next one we wanted to highlight. The point of being done is not to finish, but to get other things done, to your point. If everything is a draft, it is a draft onwards towards a better draft next. Yep, exactly. So this point just underlines evolution. So we go through the idea of, okay, what has the, what has the cult of done given us? It says act. It says, don't worry about the repercussions of your act. It's just a draft. And then it says, uh, the point of that draft is to make another draft. And so we start to see this evolutionary process at work. Love that. Um, and then the last one, failure counts as done, so do mistakes. And I just want to highlight one thing that really this cult of done is about that we haven't really talked about, and I would love to get your thoughts on, mm. is perfection. And actually, one of the one of the the list here that we didn't highlight is that laugh, you know, is number eight, laugh at perfection. It's boring and keeps you from being done. So where does where do where do you think about or how do you think about perfection as it relates to this last one? Failure counts as done, so do mistakes. Mm. Yeah, that's a great call out. The Perfection. So a lot of people will hide behind I am a perfectionist, therefore I do not act, or therefore I do not publish. And or therefore I, you know, I don't put this out into the world, therefore I don't find the new job, therefore I don't find a new partner, etc. And I think that this entire manifesto is geared at subverting and killing that idea that something needs mm -hmm. to be perfect. Because if you start to think not as a there's a two-step process. I build it, I release it, it must be lauded, accepted, given laurels, and, you know, uh, whatever, launched into space. <laughs> mm -hmm. If those aren't the only two steps, and the step is instead, try one, try two, try three, and then more, and then more, and then more. If you believe in compounding, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to engage in the process. And I think that also highlights the process versus outcome mentality that we talk about quite a bit. That is, you might think you need to write your children's book and then sell 100,000 copies for that to be successful. Mm -hmm. Okay, selling 100,000 copies is an outcome. But if you started to think, well, I write children's books, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to write and release a children's book every two months. Right. And granted, yep. the narrative arcs aren't that complicated. You could probably do that. 
right? Mm-hmm. You'll know that by the time you get to the, the first book's going to be terrible or as terrible as anything you make could possibly be, which is not very terrible, but then you're going to make a set. You're going to do a whole nother book. It's going to have a different narrative arc, but you will have learned the lessons of the first. It'll be closer to perfection. And so we don't get closer to perfection by ruminating. We get closer to perfection by writing, releasing, and this is important, getting feedback, mm-hmm. right? You need a cycle. And I, I do some sales training for some of my clients. How do you actually sell things? You don't, I, I've got, I've got somebody I'm training right now. Uh, she's genuinely brand new and I'll, I'll refrain putting, you know, adjectives on her performance, but she's brand new and her performance shows that she's brand new. And so she's scared to have the next sales conversation and screw it up. And what I'm saying to her is I need you to go have that conversation here. Here's some feedback on the last conversation, right? We role play those sales so I can give her feedback instantly. And then I release her into the wild. She comes back a week later and I give it to her again. She's nearly paralyzed with anxiety. And I'll Mm -hmm. put this out there that she's going to screw it up. And all I have to do, and all you listener have to do, give yourself permission to fail because it gets you closer to that endpoint. So you've got to be willing to to fail. You've got to be willing to make mistakes and you've got to be willing to quit. And so I think this is the other Mm. thing, you know, they say failure counts as done. So do mistakes. I say, so does quitting. So does Mm -hmm. quitting. You can get down a path and say, Hey, this isn't the right path. I'm going to stop this evolution where it sits. And so when you fail, when you make a mistake or when you quit, the important thing is that you learn the lesson of what you did. That no matter how far down that chain you went or how early you stopped, you're learning something. And so when you learn, you can evolve. One of my probably biggest evolutions as a manager of other people, uh, as a manager of growing enterprises, happened uh, through a massive mistake uh, during the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm. We had it... uh, so the staff of Again Faster was in this, what's actually a tank bridge. So these, these were mm-hmm. the bridges that they used to move tanks from a munitions factory to the to the shipping channel in Boston during World War II. I love that office. Yeah, it was a cool office. So we had this suspended tank bridge. I think it was like on the fourth or fifth floor, fourth floor probably. Uh, that sounds right. And uh, anyway, so, I, you know, I can still picture it to this day and um, – News came over the the Boston Marathon got bombed and uh, a lot of our employees uh, we're all Boston people and so we all have uh, friends in the race uh, we all had kind of you know somebody you knew that could be hurt and we didn't know if people were mm-hmm. hurt and I remember uh, having some younger employees come to me I was probably I want to say I was probably thirty one. Something like that. So, you know, about 12 years ago, come and say, oh, my God, this has happened. What do we do? Looking to me for leadership in a in a place where I was completely unqualified. And of course, I did the thing that a son of uh, a son of, you know, an Air Force master sergeant and the grandson of a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps does. He says, well, the bad guys don't get to win. We don't shut down our business because some asshole tried to hurt some people. We're going to keep going. Mm hmm. Well, it turns out it was about the worst mistake I could have ever made as a manager because what they needed right then wasn't strength. What they needed right then was uh, the okay to say, 
what we're doing here, selling kettlebells and dumbbells and barbells doesn't matter. It doesn't matter compared to the health of your friends and family. And if I hadn't made that mistake and saw the devastation in people's trust in me that occurred, I wouldn't know how to manage today. I'm managing a very small staff of eight that's working on a fledgling enterprise right now. And I've imposed that value set over the top of our operation that if you need something to be taken care of for yourself, your family, your emotional needs, it takes precedent over anything we're doing. And so this draft of a company is going to be a lot more successful, at least managerially, than that draft was. Uh, failure is a better teacher than success. And so I think that if you look at that and you embrace this evolutionary process, you can say, it's okay for me to fail. It's okay for me to screw up. No matter how hard it is to learn that lesson, I'm going to be better and stronger for it on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good bridge, I think, to the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is to, to again, the, the manifesto itself, very maker, creative, focused, and friendly. I think we've done a, uh, as good a job as we can do to kind of pull that out bring it into the world of, of agency and optimal agency. But I'd like to go one step further and just hammer on how do we take this idea of the cult of done, of anti-perfectionism, of make mistakes and learn from them into our lives in a real way in pursuit of agency? The simplest thing you could listen to this podcast and do is to go act, go do the first step of the thing you're scared to do. Mm -hmm. Literally. Now, there are perhaps smoother ways to do this. If you're somebody who learns by reading, uh, who learns by doing, I think there's a concept that really is applicable here called real world prototyping. In other mm -hmm. words, if we're going to accept that everything is a draft and it helps to get it done, well, how do you draft major life decisions? How do I draft a change in my location, my job? Uh, please do not draft a change in your romantic partner unless you have already cleared it with your current romantic partner. But how do, <laughs> how do I draft life changes? Because they're not, hey, I'm going to 3D print another version of this. They're not, I'm going, to re I'm, going to, I'm going to write another children's book. They're the underpinnings of who you are and what you do, right? I'm going to decide for, uh, about another uh, way to get my exercise, to do my friendship connection, et cetera. So the, the resource I like for this uh, comes from Bill Burnett and Dave Evans of Stanford, and they wrote a book called Designing Your Life. And of course, like every mm. book now, it has a it has a subtitle that's obnoxious, but Designing Your Life is the one that you're looking for. And I think what they <laughs> they give you more than anything else is a match to the Cult of Done manifesto, which is this is about action, not diagnosis. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. And so you should view designing your life as joy and more, not as a correction of wrongs. And then the next thing they're saying is, well, why should you prototype your life? And they really give uh, this laundry list of really good reasons. It's to ask questions. It's to expose any assumptions you're making about the change you're, you're contemplating. It's to involve others in your decision-making process. And we talked a little bit about the need for feedback mm -hmm. and evolution. Uh, and to learn more about your own plans. You know, why am, I, why am I doing that? And so they talk about what is a prototype. And so these are the things mm -hmm. that you could maybe if you're sitting at a desk and not driving a car, like write these down. This is what a prototype is. It's cheap to construct. In other words, it's not going to cost you a lot of money. Uh, second, it's fast to implement. 
And they actually give a guideline here. You should be able to implement this in seven days. If you can't implement Mm -hmm. it in seven days, it's not a prototype. It's a decision. Uh, And then they say that it needs to allow you to learn something. So cheap, fast allows you to learn something. And so they, they detail... Uh, Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, two different types of prototypes. There's a conversational prototype where I'm just going to go talk to somebody who does the thing I'm contemplating doing or lives in the place I'm contemplating moving to, right? And then there's the experiential one, which is, hey, I'm actually going to experience this. Uh, So I can have a conversation about it or I can set up a way to experience it. And I think one of the things that they underline that's really important is a prototype is not a decision. It's not... Mm final. It's not final. It's just a draft. So you can try anything you want, right? And so they recommend that you think about two prototypes. So let's say this. Let's say that you want to, uh, you say, hey, my idyllic life is no longer living in Boston. I'm going to move to an agrarian economy and engage in organic farming. Well, how could you run a prototype of that? You could take six days off from work and go work on an organic farm. Say, hi, I'm free labor. I want to see everything that happens here. Please let me work for you. And we actually have a friend who, who did this uh, out, in, out in Montana. I know that uh, Eva Claire uh, of your, mm-hmm. your uh, Optimize Me Nutrition podcast went out and yep. became an organic farmer. She prototyped the life. Guess what? She isn't today, an organic farmer. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing she found something out Through that experience and through that practice. And I think one of the things that's really important here is that if you're going to have an experiential prototype, make it as close to possible as reality. So, you know, Mm -hmm. don't say, I'd like to see what it's like to live in Boise and then go on vacation to Boise because that's not what it's like to live in Boise. That's what it's like to live in Boise with no job. And Mm -hmm. so find a way to go there and maybe it's, I'm going to go there and work a nine to five, or I'm going to go shadow. Let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a line cook. I'm going to go to Boise. I'm going to work as a line cook with a friend out there, and then I'm going to experience that life. So you can have that prototype. You can call an expert. And one of the things that's constantly of shock to me, and speaking of acting when you're unsure, people want to help you. Mm. People want to help you. They want to talk to you. So if you reach out to somebody who does what you want to do and say, can I have a half an hour of your time? I want to understand your career and whether you like it or not, what you like about it or, and, and where, where it's bringing you satisfaction and joy and where it's not, they're not going to tell you to fly a kite. They're probably mm-hmm. going to want to help you, especially if you're genuine in your desire and you're, you can communicate that. So I think we can take this idea of act Everything is a draft and it's fine to screw up and superimpose that over the life you want. Grab that book, grab designing your life, read through mm-hmm. that and start enacting some prototypes in your life. Love that. Cool. I'm going to, I'm going to pick that book up because I've not read it. Uh, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up this conversation about cult of done. Thank you again. If you want to read the list, just Google's uh, cult of done and it will be the first response. We're going to jump into a hot take all about the American dream Uh, But first, if you are enjoying Optimal Agency, we beg of you, share it with a friend. Uh, It's the best way for us to uh, continue doing it, continue to grow, continue continue to have this conversation with you around agency, around health, wealth, and time freedom. Uh, And we thank you in advance for doing so. Okay, I have an, an article I came across 
This is in, from CNN. It's called What Broke the American Dream for Millennials. And it's effectively uh, just an article talking about how the American dream Uh, as followed by millennials, has proven to be a challenge due to increasing economic pressures and that many millennials would advise against pursuing the traditional path of college, heavy debt, and home ownership, and that the perception of home ownership as a necessary state uh, step in life is being questioned. So I would love to chat with you a little bit about, um, about this idea of the American dream, the current context of whatever, you know, the economy, however you might look at that. And, uh, and where we are and where we're going as it relates to this pursuit of the American dream. Yeah. So there's, this strikes me as a cookie cutter piece I've read a thousand times. In other Mm -hmm. words, Mm -hmm. this generation of people have it worse, better, the same, whatever as a previous generation. Okay. So who are millennials? I think it's worth clarifying this. Uh, They are no longer 20. The oldest millennials are in their 40s. And so anyone born Mm -hmm. from 1981 to about, I believe, uh, the early 2000s, if not 2000 itself, qualifies as a millennial. So these people are getting into adulting, right? They are Mm -hmm. in their, they're in their 30s and early 40s. And so they're starting to say, well, okay, who is it that I am in this society? And and what is it that I'm going to be? And so we're pointing to, hey, they're broke. And they're broke compared to their parents. And we're saying they're broke compared to their parents because of external factors that they can't control. Okay, what are those external factors? And this is the thesis, not what I'm saying. And so the thesis Mm -hmm. is college has gotten much more expensive. Well, that's a fact. Right. That's an absolute fact. It has outpaced inflation tremendously. Uh, The housing market is unaffordable. In other words, if you look at the median rent versus the median mortgage payment, the median mortgage payment now outstrips median rent to a degree uh, where you cannot simply make the choice to transfer one to the other. And the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates from an effective rate of zero to an effective rate of about uh, five and a quarter percent. Uh, which has made mortgages so increasingly expensive and at the same time made housing stock availability very low. So there's a lot of demand, low supply, and even if you can find a house to buy, the cost to buy it is really high. Okay, and then there's inflation. So uh, putting gas in the car, buying food, etc. So all of these things have gotten more expensive at the same time that the millennial generation doesn't yet have a foothold in home ownership. And so one of the primary forced savings drivers of net wealth doesn't exist for them. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's our backdrop. Uh, and so the question is, what do you do about it? Well, let's look to the wisdom of the crowds here. What should you do about that? Okay. I think the first thing is understand the American dream is not your dream. And if you've adopted it wholesale as your scorecard, it's possible that you're making a mistake. In other words, I must be a parent. I must own a home. I must have a college degree. Okay. None of those things maps one to one over, I need to improve my health. I need to improve my wealth. I need to improve my time over my command so that I can increase my agency so I can have impact on the world. In other words, it's a non sequitur. The American dream does not lead to agency. It can, but there are many other Mm -hmm. paths. So the question isn't, how do I win at this game with these shitty rules? And 
the answer, of course, to that question is probably don't play. And so you have to ask yourself a better question. Here's the better question. How do I choose the game I'm going to play and how do I author the rules? Mm. Okay. Now, you do not get to make up for the fact that college degrees tend to be needed to get certain jobs. You can make up for the fact that you can build wealth without ever getting one by looking for the jobs that don't, that have high rates of pay, especially in locales where you can live for a low cost of living. Mm -hmm. Right. So choose your own game. And I think it's worth saying again that there is a difference between a default scorecard, the American dream, and your scorecard. So write yours. What matters to you? Is it home ownership? It might not be. Uh, I own a home with my girlfriend, Annie. Uh, We bought this house for about half a million dollars, and we've already sunk another $100,000 into it just to keep it airtight. (laughs) basically Mm -hmm. not because we did anything fancy with it like there are downsides of home home ownership don't decide don't decide it's necessary uh for you home ownership's not actually on my scorecard it's just where we happen to be because of where we Mm -hmm. wanted to be it was easier to buy than rent but my Mm -hmm. scorecard has almost nothing to do with material goods and neither should yours and if you think about the american dream how do we describe it Right. What's the American dream, Pat? Yeah. Buy a house, picket fence, two and a half kids. Yeah. Two cars in the garage. Yep. Right. A, get a promotion every get year. Get a promotion every yep. year. Go on vacation. Get a dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are dog, all right. material things and they are not your priorities. Right. And so my priorities, uh, number one is us. And when I say us, I mean me, Annie, and our respective families. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't need to own anything for my family to be my family. My second priority is no stress. So what does that mean in operation? If Annie or my family needs something and it causes me stress, oh well, stress was second on the list, not no stress was second, not first, family us mm. first. Right? Okay, third, autonomy. Okay. I need to be in control. That should not shock you in any way, shape, or form if you've been listening to this. Right? <laughs> the fourth is mountain sports. I need to snowboard, I need to bike, I need to hike, I need to snowshoe, I need to get out there, I need to be healthy. Right. And of course, uh, if engaging in those mountain sports somehow became stressful for me, well, what's the answer? Mm -hmm. Don't do them. Mm -hmm. Don't do them. So I'll take you down the rest of the list just for fun. And there's six items on it. Uh, After mountain sports, it's friendship and then wealth. Okay. So Mm -hmm. my friends are more important than money. Mountain sports are more important than money. Autonomy is more important than money. Not having stress is more important than money, and my family is more important than money. But that means a whole lot of money is a whole very important compared to a whole lot of other things like a Mm -hmm. picket fence. And so if you're going to put yourself in some unsurmountable amount of debt at a high interest rate to go to college, pick a different college, pick a different path to learning, pick a different outcome. If you can't afford a house, stop trying. Guess what's Mm going to happen to interest rates over the next year and a half? They're going to go down. And it's going to unlock the housing market. So chill out. And they'll stop writing hit pieces on the American dream because you're going to be able to afford a house. Right. <laughs> uh, one question, because uh, you you had mentioned at the top of this episode in relation to the Cult of Done conversation, which is the, the uh, mistakes and the learnings you've made in your own personal romantic relationships and how high values and shared values need to be on that list. Um, 
uh, and with your scorecard in mind, how do you balance those, that scorecard with Annie? Like, do you, I mean, I, I know you talk about it, but is this something that's evolved with her or is this something that exists alongside her and she's on board? Like, I'm just really curious how that scorecard lives with somebody else. Yeah. Um, so our first scorecard was more concrete than that. We knew both of us through dating and through talking and conversation that we didn't want to be in the city, that we didn't really value that lifestyle. We wanted to slow it down. We knew that we both loved mountain sports, but we came to our relationship with that. Her a snowboarder, or me a snowboarder, her a skier, uh, us both mountain bikers, right? We came to that. And so we also had those conversations to say, do I think the same things about various societal issues? Right. I can't tell you how much of a drag it has been in previous relationships to literally have political and social outlooks that are different than the person I was in a romantic environment with. And so, you know, I think we knew there was a match before we did a lot of the high commitment things like buying a house Mm -hmm. together. Right. And some of it was witnessing. So Annie, uh, when we first started dating, it was the middle of the pandemic. It was uh, in the summer of 2020 and she had family zoom. Okay. This, this essentially standing appointment to talk to mom and dad. And I realized I had never prioritized my family in any real way, in any real way. And so I witnessed it. I witnessed it. And I said, well, this sounds like a pain in the ass. I have to talk to my parents once a week on zoom. Like I'm on enough (laughs) zoom calls, but then I realized I never talk to my parents. I love my parents. I'm close to my parents, but not really because I'm not actually making Mm -hmm. that effort. And so a lot of the values have been by witnessing and then trying. I saw Mm -hmm. what she was doing and I said, okay, mom, dad, let's try this. Let's try this. And it turns out now I get on, mom gets on, my dad gets on, my little brother Andrew gets on with my niece, Anna. And occasionally my twin brother gets on with his wife and his family. And when they do, it's almost like we're all together. And you realize, you start to realize this is more important than anything else. This is more important than money. This is more important than my free time. This is more important than whatever I'd rather be doing. And so I'd say that Annie, more than anything, has been an example for me of a life well lived and a balanced life. And so we shared values. But then I would also argue my values have evolved to mirror hers because I'm paying attention to what they are and I'm willing to try them even if they seem foreign. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice callback too to what we started this conversation with about the three states of being, not knowing, action, and completion, where I think a lot of us have periods in our lives where we're not really sure what that, what our life what we want our life to look like, right? With all these standards out there, the American dream, fill in the blank of all these other things. And we don't know specifically what our life, what we want our life to look like. And to your point, I think, you know, fire up Zoom, try. Maybe it's this, (laughs) right? Maybe it's that, maybe it's a stronger relationship with your parents. Maybe it's a living in a place that you can do your mountains with, whatever it might be. The point is like going from not knowing to action, anything will get you closer to knowing. A, a weekly Zoom call might not be the solution to a better relationship with your parents, but it will get you closer to knowing what that better relationship will look like. And if, in fact, a better relationship with your parents is the thing that feels like, or is one of the things you maybe are missing in your life. That's exactly, that's exactly right. 
through action, you get to choose your own game and you get to make up the rules. And if you choose the game and you make up the rules, you win. Love it. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. John and I will be back next week for another episode of Optimal Agency.